like the same uh, in composition. Matthew leans more to a Jewish audience, and he's doing a lot more quoting from the Old Testament, and, and he's really writing to a more Jewish audience. And, and the interesting thing is we've got four Gospels. Three of them were all targeted a particular group. Luke was targeting the more of a Gentile group that's going to be reading. So he's going to be having things in his account. And then you got Mark. I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to leave out Mark, but Mark is kind of like an abbreviated version of them. And he was writing more to a Roman culture. And John, well, John's in a class by itself. It's not even close to the other three, what they call synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because they're all on the same same thing. And when you think about Mark, Mark's favorite word that he uses is immediately. And he's just like rapid fire. He's getting to the point. And you put all of that together. Do you have a pretty good picture of Jesus? Yeah, you have a pretty good picture. And just think that we have just a snapshot of him in those four books, the four Gospels. He went around and he recruited 12 men who had occupations. You know what? It never, I don't think you can ever find in the Bible God calling someone out of an employment line, unemployment line. Think about that. Well, he calls Elisha, and Elisha's out there doing what? He's plowing. He's got some oxen, and he gets so excited he kills the oxen. He's glad to get maybe out of the farming business. <laughs> but he's, every, every time you see Jesus recruiting someone, it's like they're doing something. They're occupied. They've got, and they had all these occupations, and they left that to follow him. They had families. You know, it's probably some of the families followed, the whole family went. I would think probably, it doesn't say that, but I would think he had a larger group going with him. We know that he had a larger group because when they went to replace Judas, they said they had two people they nominated, and they said, but here's the qualifications. Whoever we pick to take Judas's place has to have been with us since Jesus' baptism. Think about that. So it just wasn't 12 men and him, 13 traveling all over Galilee and Judea. There was all kinds of people. And when we see Jesus' effect on them, you really see it when he's gone. When he's, he died, he was raised again, he appeared for 40 days, and then he ascended into heaven. And you really get to see how they, he affected them. Now, Jesus... Did Jesus ever um, irritate anybody? Did he ever upset anyone? Offended people? He, he, was just, he spoke the truth. He spoke it regardless of how it was going to be received. And all of that, all those times that even the disciples at one time says, you know, I think you hurt their feelings. And he said, yeah, you know, it's almost like he, he knew that was going to happen. But that's what truth does, right? It offends some people. But what he was sharing with them is that you're not always going to have a crowd saying, Amen, preach it, go for it. You're going to have people interrupting you and you're going to have people attacking you because that's exactly what they did with him. And you can see his effect in Acts 4. I'm going to preface before I read anything in Acts 4. Acts 3 is really the effect 
that we read in chapter 4 came out of Acts 3 when, you know, Peter and John are going into the temple courtyard. They're there for a, a time of worship and prayer. They didn't have a church building. That's where they would go and meet. And you know the story. A man sitting there at one of the entrances to the temple mound said, Hey, do you have, do you have any money? you have something you can help me? Any alms that you can give me? And you remember what they said, right? Uh, we don't have any money. And I wonder how many times that guy had heard that. We don't have any money. But it doesn't mean we don't have something for you. And you know what happened there. Peter says, I don't have any money to give you, but I have something else. And he spoke in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the man not only got up, Nobody had to help him learn how to walk. He not only walked, he started running. He started dancing. He started worshiping God. He was running around in that crowded temple courtyard, and all these people said, wait a minute, that's the guy that was at the gate. That's a guy that was a beggar. He's been there as long as I can remember. That's all he ever did was ask people to help. And here he is. He's running and leaping and praising God. And when that crowd of people got the attention on that, Peter preached to them, and 5,000 people got saved. Hallelujah. Not a bad start to the church. In fact, if you look at cha chapter 2 and chapter 3 and 4, it is like 8,000. They went from 120 people in the upper room to over 8,000 people. It was an explosion. The church just exploded on the scene. But there was that group that attacked Jesus, and here they are in Acts 4. I'm going to take you to verse 13. I'm, I'm going to skip over some things. But I want to take you, first of all, to Acts 4, 13. Because this is where they bring them in. In fact, they arrest them. If you read in the first part of the chapter, they arrest them. They keep them overnight in a, in a jail. And uh, then they bring them out. And the full Sanhedrin is in play. He mentions Annas. He mentions Caiaphas. He mentions John. He mentions Alexander, and he mentions other people. In other words, you don't see this. You don't see all of the leadership of the Sanhedrin in play until you see this. And they call them in, and this is what they said. This is how the NAS reads. Now, as they observe the confidence of Peter and John and understand and understood that they were uneducated, untrained men... They were amazed and began to recognize them as having, what? Been with Jesus. That's why I'm calling this the Jesus effect. They didn't, they didn't really recognize them as a separate entity. They looked at them and they said, you know what we see? We see somebody that's acting just like he acted. And that's doing things just like he did. And we've got a problem here. The NIV reads like this. When they saw the courage... Of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus so what was the observable effect of Jesus I'm going to give you five things and we'll go back over this five things that are observable effect of Jesus on Peter and John and the rest of the group the first thing that we notice is that they recognize a boldness in them that wasn't there, right? It wasn't there when Jesus was arrested, right? They, were, they all took off. They were wanting to see what would happen, but they all scattered. 
they didn't have that boldness. And so when they saw how they were acting, they said, you know what that reminds us of? That reminds us of the boldness of Jesus. And then it says there was an amazement factor. They were amazed at them, and that's an interesting word. We'll get to that in a moment. And then it said that they had devotion under pressure. That's when your devotion is tested. Is when you're under pressure, when things are not going right, and things are kind of like reverse course, and you're dealing with stuff that the doctor doesn't know what to do for you. There's all kinds of things in your family that can happen, and, and it's going to test you if you're going to be devoted under pressure. And they noticed that in them. And then there was passionate prayer. That's later on in the chapter we'll mention. And then they were persistent in proclaiming the gospel. Let's go back to that, that boldness factor. The King James is better on this, it, what it mentions, boldness. It means to be outspoken, openly assured, blunt, frank. It means confidence. You know, some people can kind of fake confidence until they get into <laughs> to a situation where they can't answer a question or they realize they've been caught. They can say they can do anything, and then when you have them do something, you have to have somebody else to come back and, and fix it, right? But few can get away with faking confidence because it's going to be tested to a point to where <laughs> you either have confidence or you don't have confidence, right? And I think one of the things we tend to wrestle with is confidence because we look at, what, our abilities? And sometimes people say, well, you need to have self-confidence. I don't know if that's a good statement or not. I think we need to have confidence in what God has done in our lives and not kind of manufacture that I want to come across. Now, you know, there's books been written as how to come across confident, but is that uh, pretending to be confident or you really are confident? Now, they weren't pretending to be confident because they were in trouble. They were arrested, and the same people that crucified Jesus is looking at them with judgmental eyes and yet they were confident so where does our confidence come from it really doesn't it can't come from us but it's got to come from this relationship we have with the Lord that we are who we are by the grace of God it's not on our ability that we do what we do for the kingdom of God it's on his calling his enabling power in us to do things God's going to call a lot of us to do things that we not only don't feel like we're able to do, we don't want to do it. You might not like doing nursery work, but he might call you to do nursery work. Amen. 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 Somebody said, well, that's not my calling. That's not what my thing. You better be sure. The Lord might be calling you to do something you don't want to do. But that's when he tests whether you will do what needs to be done. Now, I'm not up here trying to recruit nursery workers, but, you know, I'm just saying. And here's a note about Jesus. You know, when Jesus, the, the temple police was sent out, this is in John chapter 7. The Sanhedrin wanted their police, they had the, they had the temple police, it was like their own little military. And they sent them out there and said, you need to go get Jesus and bring him back to us, we won't talk to him. And they go out there, and they're listening to him preaching and all of this. And when all of that is done, they turn around and go back. And the leaders say, where's he at? Well, 
nobody talks like him. <laughs> Just the way he was talking kind of disarmed all of that. They were supposed to go and rest Jesus. And then after they hear him talking, the temple believes they're like, you know, man, we've never heard anybody talk like that. And on another occasion, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, think about this. You'll find people astonished at the teaching of Jesus. And that was probably a three-hour sermon or longer. We won't get away with that here. We probably won't get away with an hour sermon here. But it just shows you that they were astonished after listening to all kinds of subject matter. The people were astonished. And you see why this same confidence that Jesus had is now in them. It's in the disciples. Here's the second thing, amazement. Look at Acts 4.13 again. They were amazed, astonished. If you go through different translations, I think the King James says marveled. They marveled. Another one says amazed. Another says astonished. And why was there such an amazement with these? These were their enemies. These were, their, these were their opposite that was looking at them, and they were amazed. You see, Jesus wasn't from a rabbinical school. This is what they, they had an issue with him. He didn't graduate from their academy. He was self-taught, and he taught these men who were not rabbinical students. They were good men. They, they probably knew a lot of Scripture just from Sabbath school. But Jesus took them and, and educated them in all of the Word of God, and, and they didn't like it because they didn't graduate from their schools. And this is what one of the issues they had. And this was the Jesus effect. Jesus was not from the school of thought they were from. And the disciples ended up in the same boat, didn't they? The Sanhedrin didn't like Jesus, and they don't like them either. And think about this. It says they were unlearned and ignorant men. Now, you know, I don't think I could get offended by anybody saying you're unlearned but I, 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 that ignorant thing that would, that, that would not go well with me because I've learned a lot from Brenda I, I know a lot she, she's taught me well so I am not ignorant I want you to know that but that word ignorant means it comes from a Greek word this is the Greek word idiotes That's the root word for the English word idiot. It's one of my favorite words. <laughs> Especially when I'm driving down the road. It's like, that's an idiot. There goes an idiot. They don't know what they're doing. They're out here. They don't even know how to drive. You know, that's my, one of my favorite words. But that's the one, that's how they looked at them. They're like, they don't know anything they're doing, but they're doing something that we don't know what to do about. How did men, men who came from those backgrounds that they looked upon and said, what's wrong with these? They couldn't believe that they were doing what they were doing because they looked at them and said, these are a bunch of unlearned people. They don't know what they're doing, but how are they getting thousands of people to come listen to them when we had to force people to come listen to us? And then that's the Jesus effect. In Acts 4, verse 18 Here's the devotion under pressure effect of Jesus on them. Listen to verse 18. This is Acts 4:18. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Notice, they didn't care if they taught or preached. They just did not want Jesus to be in the midst of it. 
But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years of age. When you go back to the first part in Acts 3, it said the crippled man from birth was sitting at one of the entrances to the temple. He was born a cripple. Never had walked a day in his life. Never probably had anything even close to being attempted to do anything mobile. All of a sudden, that guy gets healed just like Jesus healed people. And here's this devotion under pressure. They were rebuked. They were threatened. And they said, you know, you judge whether we should listen to you or not. But we can't help but what to say we've seen and heard with our own eyes and our own ears. We can only do what God has called us to do. Isn't that good? You know, I think like, I think, I think we live in a day where so much of what the church and the Bible stands for is under attack. The nuclear family, a pro-life cause. You think about what's going on in our world. You know, the, the Roe v. Wade, when it came down in the early 70s, you know, I, I thought, and, I, and I've read all about the Dred Scott decision and how horrendous decision that was. The Chief Justice, Roger Taney and all that. I read all about that, and I said, how could those nine people, seven of them, rule in the way they ruled? And the same thing about the Roe v. Wade, 7-2 decision. There's no constitutional right. I don't, it doesn't matter what anybody here thinks otherwise. There's no constitutional right to kill a baby in the womb. And yet, what is happening to us? We're kind of like the enemy now. If we talk about that and we say something about that, we are in an era. Listen, we are in a time frame where your devotion to biblical truth is under pressure. The nuclear family, sexuality, all of these things that are all around us. And we need to be the Peter and John that stands on the principle of what we have seen and heard from God's word. Devotion under pressure. We need to be devoted to the Word of God and not bend and, and say, well, we don't want to offend anyone. We have to be devoted to God no matter what happens. Whatever, whatever it takes for us to be devoted to God. They did not go by what they thought, the Sanhedrin thought about them. They only cared what God thought about them, what God called them to do. And then they had passionate prayer. You know I don't think the Sanhedrin got to saw these people pray. But it tells when they got back, they called a prayer meeting. And, and you know what happened in that prayer meeting? Acts 2 happened again. They prayed, and the power of God came down, and they all got filled with the Holy Spirit all over again. You know, really there's a truth that we all need to be refilled with the Holy Spirit on a continual basis as I heard someone say, because we leak. We leak. And because we leak, we need to be refilled. But it's this prayer. They, when you see them praying, you see the effect of Jesus on them. This is the Jesus effect. 
They learned how to pray. In fact, they wanted Jesus. As you teach us, we know you get up in the early hours of the morning and you go out and pray and you're by yourself. Tell us how to do that. Show us how to do that. They had a prayer meeting. They called on God. And God answered their prayer. Their boldness. God shook the place. It's almost like a scaled-down version of Acts 2. <laughs> Without the tongues of fire and the wind, but it was like he shook the place, and the power of God came down and filled them all again with the Holy Spirit. It was on. It was on. Here's the last thing. Acts 4, and I'm going to take you to verse 33. They, it's, just, it's just so interesting to me that... Churches were not built like we have here. Places were not built to be a gathering. The first two, three hundred years of Christianity, they, they met in people's homes. Or they met in a town square. They met at the Temple Mound. You know, Paul, he's on a missions trip, and he says, I need to get back in time for the Feast of Pentecost. And he, and he's, uh, he really rushed his travel plans and and why, why was he he wanted to be there for the feast of pentecost it's like like none of that really went away none of the feasts went away with paul he wanted to be there so that he can worship god in the new framework of pentecost and where did he go where did he go to worship where did they go to worship they went to the Temple Mound. That's where he was blamed for bringing the Gentile in, and that's how he got arrested, and it was all trumped-up charges. But where did he go? He went right back to the place where it was like a no-no to talk about Jesus, but he's there. It's this persistent seeking after God. And this is what, you know, the, the, the passionate prayer that was going on there was God was responding and filling them. And this persistent proclamation with great power in Acts 4.33, great power, the apostles continued. Think about this. After all that meeting, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. They kept right on preaching. Do you know that God has called us to do the same thing? Keep on preaching. Keep on sharing. We're called by the Lord to keep on doing His work. And this is the influence of Jesus. This is the effect of Jesus. You know, the Lord didn't come to give you and me a ticket to heaven. He came to bring heaven to you and me. He came to bring an experience that captures us, that not just embraces us, that Jesus is not an appendix. I hope he's not an appendix. He's got to be the main source of our life the main influence our life. I want our praise team to come back up. How did God use them? He used them in the same dynamic that Jesus walked in. Should it be any different for us? Should it be any different for us that we're to be this wave of apostolic anointing the power of God working in our lives. None of this is just re, re, re confined to the first century or second century or third century church. It's wide open to all of us. It's wide open to all of us. What, what do you want God to do in your life? How does these areas 
of, of effect that Jesus had on them, it should be in us as well, right? That we should, how, does, how, do, how did they know that they had been with Jesus? They acted like him. They, said they took note that they had been with Jesus. You know what? You know what they remind me of? They remind me of Jesus when he was here preaching. Don't you wish that our witness, and I hope it is that people see Jesus in us without having a cap on or some kind of insignia, you know, that just the way we... I'm, I'm telling the way you interact with somebody, please, if you go out to eat somewhere, if you don't do this, but be nice to a, a waitress because she's probably going to look at you and say, this pe- these people were in church. Because when Kelly worked at Olive Garden, she hated working on Sundays, not just because she didn't. She said, church people are the meanest people we have. And they are the cheapest people we have. She says, I don't like working on Sunday because... It's a bad witness to all the other servers that they're complaining about their food, complaining about this, and they didn't like this, and then, and then they don't leave anything or leave a little. On the other hand, I think we ought to make people just have this note. You know there's something different about that person. They handle that situation. Don't you wish you had some situations back <laughs> that when you walk away, says, you know what, I didn't handle that very well. Would you stand with me this morning? The Lord wants us to surrender ourselves to Him. You need special prayer this morning. You've been in a battle. You've been, this week has been a tough week for you. I invite you to come and stand across this front. We're going to pray that God will renew you. This is the first day of a new week. So just come and stand here. We're going to ask God to pour out His presence. Because he wants to renew you. He wants to touch you. He wants to fill you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we cry out to you. We worship you. The living God who's affected us through your redemption, your redemptive grace in our lives, Lord. We need you. We need you, Lord. Hallelujah. Just come and meet with you. Some of you ladies can come and pray with some of these and as well. Thank you, Lord.